I do enjoy my share of music, but when I was a kid, um, I had a big floor console in my bedroom that played um, records, that played vinyl records and eight tracks. It looked kind of like this. Um, anybody, anybody remember eight tracks? Yeah, like, so I had one of these in my room um, and, would, and uh, I, I rocked the Neil Diamond all day long. Uh, any other Neil Diamond fans? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Love on the rocks. <laughs> um, but in 1981, um, we got our first boombox, um, which changed everything. It launched a brand new era in our family, the era of cassette tapes. Anybody else a part of Cassette Tape Nation? Like you were a child of the eight? Okay, they were awesome. Obviously, like you couldn't really skip songs. Like fast forwarding and rewinding was, more, was not an exact science. You kind of had to guess uh, and, you know, fast forward a little while, stop it, see where you are. And the player would eat the tape from time to time, but you could fix everything with a pencil, right? It got pulled out. You just put that pencil in there and wind it up in there. It'd be great. Uh, but did anybody ever do this little number where you would sit and listen to the radio and you had both like two fingers on the buttons because you'd have to press play and record at the same time to record something. And so you're just waiting for your favorite song and you hear it start to play and then you press record and you're like, yeah. And then the DJ keeps talking. You're like, shut up, man. You're ruining my song. Anybody ever do that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Like, uh, and then of course, there was the extremely important marker in every dating relationship where you made them the mixtape. Yes, absolutely. You guys, you guys did that too, that's amazing. So, uh, but cassettes were awesome, but in, in spite of how much I liked cassettes, like when CD, CDs came along, like I was blown away, right? Like everybody had to switch over from their giant cassette collection that they had in that big case that had a zipper on the top and you could pull it out and everybody had to switch from that. And then they had this giant CD collection and anybody have one of those big books that you flip open, you had all the CDs in there. Uh, CDs were better in, than tapes in every way. But then when the MP3 player was introduced, it meant, you know, obviously there was no disc to get scratched or no tape to melt down. Um, and when the iPod first came out, it could hold 1,000 songs. It was so amazing. I remember, I remember telling a friend, like, why would anybody need 1,000 songs? Like, I just don't even understand. I mean, there's like 10 good songs in the world. Um, but today, obviously, it's, it's all about streaming services, whether it's Apple Music or, um, you know, Spotify or whatever. And, and almost... Almost all the music I listen to now, I listen to on Spotify. Now, it, it may seem kind of weird, but I still have a love for cassette tapes because they're, they're just such a big part of my childhood, a big part of my story growing up. And as I look back, I have an appreciation for them, but although I do have a love for them, I've moved on. I actually don't own any cassette tapes anymore. In fact, most of us probably have all moved on from cassette tapes, or at least, you know, we probably should have. The truth is that system is no longer standard, it's, it's obsolete because something better has come along. It doesn't mean that it was bad, it just had flaws and limitations and, and, and we needed it to do what it did at the time, but then something better replaced it, it was just temporary. And nobody's flipping out and upset and demanding, you know, rioting in the streets, bring back cassette tape, no, nobody's doing that. Because while, you know, not all change is progress, there is no progress without change. And when it comes to enjoying our favorite songs, what matters is the music, not the mechanism for listening to that music, right? It doesn't matter the way that we're taking it. The point is the music. Obviously, they're not the same thing. One is the product. The other is just part of the process. 
Like, I didn't stop listening to Journey just because it wasn't on a cassette tape anymore. Right? Any, any Journey fans? Just a small town girl living in a lonely world. She took a midnight train. Yes. We're going, we're going on the road, you guys. I mean, who wouldn't pay us to hear us sing that? That's, they might pay us to hear us not sing that. But that song is great no matter what form it's in, right? Like cassettes were just a means to an end, a means that eventually used up its usefulness. Why? Because somebody, somebody developed something new or something better for us to access and experience music. And since the point is the music and not the mechanism, we grabbed a hold of what was new because it fulfilled and replaced the purpose of the old thing in a much better way. Now, nobody... No, nobody's defending cassettes. Nobody's still using cassettes. Nobody's devoted to cassettes. Nobody's still trying to convince anyone. Although I did see an article a couple years ago where people were declared like with absolute certainty that, that the sound quality is just better on a cassette. And I'm like, dude, no, it's not. I mean, like I love cassettes, but it's not. Right? So it sounds a little bit ridiculous, but, but we kind of all do that in certain areas of our lives, like in all, in all kinds of areas of our lives. In fact, people fighting and arguing over things that just sort of seem out of touch or inconsequential or something changed or there was a shift or something old became obsolete and something new. And, and, and in fact, I think I just described, you know, 99% of social media is fights over things that don't matter. Uh, and this happens a lot. Like it happens a lot over faith and the Bible too, right? Have you ever run across a Facebook fight of two people who are arguing opposite points and they're both triggered and they're both arguing passionately and angrily, but, but like the both of them are also using the Bible to back their perspective. Have you ever had people arguing over the Bible and go, no, I'm, this thing is right. And what about and you weren't sure what to believe, right? So, so you, you pretty much tune them out and you just keep scrolling. But, but it did kind of surface some sort of questions inside of you about the Bible and belief and about God. Because there's a lot of discussion in our culture right now, especially in the new atheism movement, about how the Bible con contradicts itself. And you're wondering, well, well, does it? I mean, it kind of seems like the things these guys are bringing up, it sort of seems like it does contradict itself in certain places. And, and when we're faced with those questions, what are you supposed to think? Like when they present the evidence, it's like, who's right? Is anyone right? How can you actually know? And, and while we're at it, while we're asking these questions, does it matter where in the Bible a verse comes from? Because there's two parts, right? There's the Old Testament and the New Testament, but, but why are those, 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 there are those two parts and, and how do they fit together and are they both equal and is the Bible all one thing or do certain sections carry more weight than others? And, and if a lot of Christians disagree on lots of different things, who does Jesus agree with? And what does any of this have to do with music and cassette tapes? All great questions. And honestly, they lead us directly back to this conversation that we've been having the last couple of weeks about this new thing. You gotta say thing, new thing. This new thing Jesus came to bring and to do in the world. Now, I'm gonna do my best to answer as many of those questions as I can. Um, and, and, but here's the deal. I, I probably I'm gonna fall just short of answering the thing that really convinces you. And the point is, I, I believe so much of this is part of a really big and, and really super important conversation that God wants to have with you. 
And, and, and I want you to know that if I fall short, I want you to know that God doesn't. That, that my, our goal in this series is to try to initiate a conversation between you and God that, that goes beyond just what's happening on Sunday morning. One that carries on long after the messages in this series are over. So I wanted to begin to try to answer some of those questions with a little bit of context. And I want you to stick with me through this part because it, 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 it's not the most exciting stuff, but it sets up where we're going to go. See, the Bible isn't all one thing. It's two separate things sitting side by side in sequential order. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you probably already knew that. What you may not know is that the word testament literally just means covenant, which is a term that refers to a contract or an agreement between two or more people. And a covenant was just something that defined roles. It, it outlined responsibilities and expectations. It, it spelled out the consequences for violating the agreement between those people or between those two tribes or between those two kingdoms. A covenant for all intents and purposes was the terms and conditions of a relationship. So the, the two sections of your Bible would be more accurately translated and titled the old covenant in the New Covenant instead of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and I think if they were labeled that way, it wouldn't clear up everything, but I think it would clear up a lot of confusion around a lot of questions that we have. But unfortunately, they're not, they're not labeled that way. Now, the other thing is that although they're, both covenants involve God and people, they're two completely separate things. In the Old Testament, the covenant that God makes is with the nation of Israel, and he, he does it through Moses and the Old Testament laws and the Mosa, what's called the Mosaic law. And, and it's with a nation, it's not with individuals. And, and just a little bit about that, that covenant, it was bilateral, meaning that there were, there were expectations on both sides and it was conditional, I won't. The essence of it was this, if you do this, then I'll do that. But if you don't, I won't. Contract. Right, it's a contract. So here, here's why all of this matters. The entire Old Testament... And everything in it has to do with this covenant between God and this group of people. All of the conditions, all of the promises, all of the warnings, all of the rules, all of the blessings and judgments that are spelled out in the Old Testament are all directed not to specific people, but to the nation of Israel. And they're certainly not directed to you or to me. Now, I, I want to make sure you get this because you and I were not we're not and we are not included in any way in that old covenant, in that old contract. And, and the truth is, is that we should be glad that we're not because we're pretty much in violation of it at all times. Now, don't, don't check out at all and get lost in this stuff. Stay with me for a few minutes because it's going to make sense. Because I really want you to see this. And it's probably going to make some of us uncomfortable as we get into this conversation, especially if we've been uh, attending church for a little while, it might, it might make us uncomfortable. But what this means is that none of the verses in the Old Testament are actually directed at you. Why? Because you're not an ancient Jew living 2,500 years ago in the nation of Israel. Now, I get that this is hard because there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that we love, right? There's a lot of great stuff in there. But the Lord said in Isaiah that no weapon formed against me will prosper. You're right. God did say that, just not to you and not to me. Like, I love that declaration by God. It's a, it's a great promise. It's just not a promise made to me. 
But but what about, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, you probably have that hanging somewhere in your house if you've been a Christian for very long. Yep, he said that, but he didn't say that to you or me. That's not our promise. See, if if you wanted to, you could go next door and dig around in your neighbor's mailbox and fish out the acceptance letter to UCLA that their kid got and you could read it as if it belongs to your son or daughter and maybe even take it and scribble your son's or your daughter's name at the top on it, right? But that doesn't mean that it applies to your son or daughter. It's not their offer, it's theirs. Plus you'd be guilty of a federal crime, mail fraud, tampering with the mail. But here's the deal, when we claim promises that weren't meant for us, it's dishonest and it's dangerous because here's why, because we subject ourselves to the conditions of those promises. And it ends up confusing us. Sometimes Christians are really good at this. We're really, by the way, it's not just claiming promises, but, but, but sometimes Christians are really good at this. We're really good at this, if we're honest. We also claim punishments for other people that weren't aimed at them. Um, and that's dishonest and dangerous too. But I thought the Bible was God's word. It is. The whole Bible is God's word to somebody, but it isn't all of God's word to everybody. Meaning the entirety of the Old Testament revolves around the Old Covenant, which is directed at ancient Israel, which includes none of us in this room, right? So what are we all doing here? Now, before you maybe pick up your rocks to start to stone me or, you know, ride in the street or leave to go get more bacon or whatever you want to do. Just, just hang with me um, till the end because I, I, I think it'll make sense. And the reason why this matters and the reason why we're here is because there's more than one testament. Or, or to be more precise, there's more than one covenant. See, for all of us here, the New Testament was the start of something new that actually included you and me. It actually included us. So there's this pivotal moment in the Gospels, and the Gospels are just the first four, the name given to the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They include the story of of Jesus and his birth and his life and death and resurrection. And there's this pivotal moment in the Gospels where Jesus makes it clear that he's doing something brand new. Right? You've probably heard it before, but maybe you didn't fully understand the implications of what he was saying. But for the ancient Jews... Um, This was huge because every year they would celebrate Passover and the Passover feast was just a sacred meal and and they they celebrated every year and it was designed to commemorate and kind of mark, to be this marker in their lives so that they would remember God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel under the old covenant. And at the time of Jesus, this was the only covenant, was the old covenant. So he and his disciples are celebrating the Passover feast because Jesus was a Jew. I don't know if you knew that part, but he was a Jew. And so they're having the Passover feast. And, and, and while they're having their Passover feast, this is, what, this is what happens in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. It says, after supper, he, meaning Jesus, took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Now, 
If you've heard that verse before, you're like, yeah, I, I know, I get it. Even if you haven't heard that verse, you're like, okay, whatever, it's, it's starting something new. But this, this is, I, I don't want us to miss how huge this is because Jesus used his final Passover meal to announce the end of Passover, something that they had been doing for like over a thousand years. He used that meal to announce the end of that, the end of the Passover as they knew it, and to signal the beginning of something new, a brand new covenant. Now, just imagine how unsettling this must have been for them. Like, they were fine with the old thing. They didn't see anything wrong with it. And they certainly didn't, didn't think that it needed to be replaced. And, and I, I can just picture as they're sitting there, and, and they're sitting around, and they're listening, and Jesus is saying all these things, and he's talking about betrayals, and somebody's going to betray him, and, and, and he's, he's talking to Peter and Judas, and all this stuff's going on. And then he says, hey, take, you know, he picks up the cup and says, this is, I'm starting something brand new, a brand new covenant. And they're like, wait, wait, t time out. Like, I, I, I grew up under this existing covenant, and I had to obey all the rules. I had to follow all those customs. I had to say these prayers and go to the temple and bring a sacrifice to the priest. And I had to do all of that to make sure that I was good with God. And, and now you're telling me that that's not the way it is anymore because you're doing something, because you're, you're gonna die because you're doing something new. And Jesus is just going, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Can, can you imagine that Jesus, through his sacrifice and the shedding of snow, not just between God and one particular group of people, but a covenant between God and all of humanity for all time, forever. It was for all people everywhere. That's really good news. You can do a happy dance now. like ooh, Do your new covenant dance. I don't know what you do. I only know the Mario dance from Mario Tennis. He used to do this. Anybody? No, nobody played that? Okay. All right. It's only me. All right. See, the reason why this matters is because the new covenant actually includes you. Right? And here's the deal. It didn't arrive out of the blue. This had been something that God had been planning and promising from long before Jesus was born. In fact, the old covenant promised a day when there would be no need for the old covenant. And now here is Jesus saying, that moment is here. We're here. It's now. This is the moment. Check this out in Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning with verse 31. It says this, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with Judah. And this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people and they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives saying you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already says the Lord and I will forgive their wickedness and their sins and I will never again remember their sins. Now this is, this is incredible because it, it's easy to kind of miss the, how big this is because of the language, but according to this Hebrew prophet, Jeremiah, the new covenant that's coming is gonna be completely different from the thing that they've all been living under. 
this new agreement that God is making between himself and humanity, it's, it's even going to include their neighbors. And, and this is why that matters, because since it was written to an entire nation, it meant that it was going to include the neighboring tribes and nations around them who had no part in any way, shape, or form in the existing covenant or the old covenant that existed. But God says of these outsiders what he says of Israel. I will be their God and they will be my people. They're not even going to need to teach or enforce the old covenant law anymore to these outsiders because God is going to write on their hearts. This new agreement, this new covenant will be a covenant of the heart, not of written codes and conditions and regardless of what the people do, God will forgive them and he's not going to hold it over their heads. This, you guys, is the complete game changer. See, because it's never happened before until Jesus started something new. He didn't come to build onto the old. He didn't come to go old covenant 2.0. No, he started something brand new that wasn't just for the nation of Israel. It was for you and for me. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's going, remember that promise? Remember, Jeremiah? I'm about to set all of that in motion. So in the New Testament, the covenant God makes is with all of humanity through Jesus, where the old covenant was bilateral or both had responsibilities and it was conditional. The new covenant is unilateral and completely unconditional. It means that the essence of it is God saying, I will, even if you don't. So unlike the old covenant, God takes the responsibility to fulfill all the terms of the new covenant. It was for the whole world, for anyone and everyone who would choose to participate in new faith. In Jesus. This was something brand new. Jesus wasn't talking about a new way of getting, he wasn't just talking about a new way of getting your sins forgiven so that you could go to heaven later after you die, but he was also talking about a new way of living right here and right now. This was a new covenant that would fulfill and replace everything that had come before, which again is really good news because the old covenant was impossible to live, live up to. And also, I may have mentioned this before, it didn't include you and me. That is the fundamental difference between what the Old Testament is and the New Testament. One is aimed at you, the New Testament, and the other's not. Both of them are equally inspired but they aren't equally applicable, which is why we don't follow the terms and conditions of the Old Testament. That's why we don't require men to get circumcised after they fill out an I said yes card when they respond to God. If this was the Old Covenant, we'd have to do that. It's why we don't stone adulterers or people who get divorced. That's pretty good news if you've been divorced. It's why we don't perform animal sacrifices in a temple that doesn't even exist anymore. It's why we don't have a station to check the tags on your clothes to see if they're made from, you know, multiple fabrics that are woven together and then kick you out as a result if you're wearing that. And like, hey, that's a nice cotton blend, but God doesn't approve. Get out. That was part of the old covenant. You couldn't wear anything made of blended fabrics. It's why most of us have been to a seafood buffet. And as long as it wasn't in the Midwest, it was probably pretty good. 
It's why we don't proclaim that God is pouring out his wrath and his judgment on a nation or a group of people when a natural disaster strikes their community. It's why we don't deprive ourselves of delicious, delicious bacon. Instead, we wrap it around all sorts of things, including of all the things you guys could applaud. Jesus is starting something new. We love bacon. Yeah! I, I see you guys. I see you working. Right? It's, it's why if your husband dies, you're not required to marry his dopey, idiot, irresponsible brother, which you were in the Old Testament. It's why we don't object to tattoos and piercing on the grounds that they will align you with some pagan religion and probably send you to hell. It's why we don't worry about mixing meat and dairy together. We do it all the time. Thanks, in and out them and Chick-fil-A, it's all I eat. Even say they're Christian, it's the Christian meal, in and out. Them and Chick-fil-A, it's all I eat. And it's also why we don't ostracize and disown our kids for getting pregnant outside of marriage or telling us that they're gay. We don't and shouldn't do these things because they're a part of the old covenant, which never did and still does not include you or me. And what is made clear over and over and over again in the New Testament is that if we claim, here's the key, if we claim any part or participate in any part of the Old Covenant and its promises, with all of those conditions and promises and judgments, if we claim or participate in any part of it, then we're liable for all of it. We don't get to cherry pick and choose the things that we like and then ignore the things that we don't like. It's, it's an all or nothing thing. Now, I get that for some of us, this, for some of us, part of this might make you a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know about all of this stuff. Like, I, but what I want you to see is I'm only echoing what the New Testament writers told their now mixed Jewish and Gentile audiences again and again and again. They wrote about this over and over and over again, praying that people would understand which covenant that they were now living under and which that they would just completely let go of. See, listen to this in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. It says this, it says, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. See, you don't, you don't need a priest. It's okay if you have one, but you don't need one. You can talk directly to Jesus. He's the only priest you need. And he's mediated a better covenant with God with better promises. And what makes them so much better? Well, for starters, these ones actually include you. That's a good thing. They're for everyone. In the next verse, he goes on and says this, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. To replace it. And so he's saying it wasn't faultless, so the opposite of faultless is faulty. So, whoa, 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 whoa. The second covenant replaced the first one because it was faulty? It had problems? It needed to go? Yes. A few verses later in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, he says this. He says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he's made the first one obsolete. 
It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Wait, wait, wait. Can, can you say that? You, you can't label big portions of the Bible as faulty and obsolete and out of date and still be a Christian, can you? You can't say something like that about the Bible, right? The problem is that this is in the Bible. One inspired author of the Bible is calling the work of another inspired author of the Bible outdated and obsolete. Now, I don't know where you grew up. If you grew up in church, that's definitely not in the B-I-B-L-E song that I learned. But God built into the old covenant a planned obsolescence. That, like that, we're used to that in our technology, right? Because technology companies are jerks. So they build products that will intentionally wear out in a very short period of time so that we're forced to replace them. That's why the, the scam of the ink cartridge business, right? The toner cartridge for your printer, it's a total scam because it's planned obsolescence. They're planned to wear out whether you use all the ink in them or not so that you gotta replace them. And God built into the old covenant planned obsolescence, a point where it would expire and would no longer be necessary. Now, maybe you're thinking, wait, 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 you, you preach from the Old Testament though. Like, what about that? And that's really a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up. And that's because the Old Testament is still enormously valuable. There are great examples and cautionary tales for us to learn from. There's stories of faith and courage and wisdom. We should study and learn from every inch of the Old Testament. But here's the key. The Old Testament is great and should only be used for inspiration, not for application. Because it doesn't apply to you and me. So don't place expectations on yourself and on each other and on other people because they're, quote, in the Bible if they're in the Old Testament. Now, if you're anything like me, this is super liberating because I've spent so much of my life beaten up by stuff that was mainly in the Old Testament. I also have to admit, because of the way that I, raised, that I was raised, even though the, like, I'm teaching this to you right now, it's a little unnerving to think about. Because, wait, wait a minute, so what are you saying? There's just, there's just no expectations, right? The Ten Commandments, all of that, like, that doesn't apply. Everybody can just do what they want. There's no standard. There's no code of conduct. And, and, and people actually had that same question for Jesus too. And he had something new to say about that as well. He spelled out for his his new followers, this new ethic, this new code, this new standard, and he explained that the Holy Spirit would be the one to actually help us live it out. And so what was it? You're going to have to come back next week <laughs> for that part. But I can tell you this. God wants everyone, everywhere, to experience the music and that's why it no longer comes in cassette form. In John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And one of the seven statements that he made while he was on the cross, the final one, was his declaration that it is finished. 
And there was a lot of things that he was declaring in that moment were finished. His work to reconcile all of humanity to God, him giving his life as a sacrifice for all of us. But wrapped up in that statement is him saying this old covenant, everybody that's looking on, Jews, Romans, the old thing, it's finished. In this moment, it's done. It's complete. Something new in this very moment is beginning. And you don't have to live under that anymore. See, if, if you were to dig into more of the, the verses in Hebrews around the fault with the old covenant. The fault with the old covenant was that it was conditional and there was no way for anybody to live up to that covenant. And so the writers are like, of course it had to go. And they're declaring that Jesus didn't come to lower the bar He actually came and raised the bar so that everybody would know you can't meet it. And then he gave his life for us so that the bar doesn't matter. All that matters is this relationship with my sanity, that if you will step by faith into relationship with my son, everything that I want to do for you, I have done. It doesn't matter where you were born, what you look like, what your last name is. It doesn't matter what nation or nationality. It doesn't matter how much money's in the bank. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. All of humanity, everyone who chooses to participate, it is finished. Let's pray together.